Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey there, friends. Happy first Wednesday in November, which means if it's the first Wednesday in November, yesterday was the first Tuesday in November, which means yesterday was the election. I want to remind you that no matter what we are waking up to today on this Wednesday, but we have a promise that we can stand on that God is holding the world together. Jesus is king and the Holy Spirit is active in and among us. No power has been taken away from our God today or tomorrow, or any day to come. And so I hope that encourages you so much. I also want to tell you this. One of the best podcasts that I recently listened to was from a podcast called Church Politics with Justin Gibney. Justin is the president of the AND campaign. And on this particular episode, he was all by himself. His co-host, Michael Ware, was not with him on this one. But he talked about what should temper our excitement if our political party wins the election. Go back and find this episode. It was released on October 21st, and it's titled, How Much Should Christians Celebrate If Their Party Wins the Election? And again, the name of that podcast is Church Politics. Guys, today we have a great show in store for you. My guest is Jeff Bethke. Jeff is the author of several books. The most recent book is called To Hell with a Hustle. Jeff currently lives in Hawaii with his wife, Alyssa, and their three children. I have so much respect for Jeff and the whole Beth Key crew, and I can't wait to have Alyssa on the show next spring. And I'm so thrilled to have him on the podcast with us today. In today's episode, he tells us about his new book and the problem with busy culture. He also dives into his passion for helping families lean into their purpose of glorifying God as a unit and being called to mission as a family. Not necessarily in the sense of a nuclear or corporate family, but rather in the multi-generational family that is the body of Christ. This is something that Aaron and I value so much as well. And I hope if you haven't thought about it before, that today would get your wheels turning as to how you could be part of family in this way. Friends, I also want to tell you that you're going to want to be a part of the newsletter. If you have never subscribed to our newsletter, today is the day. And I'll tell you why. Every November, we release our holiday gift guide. We do it in podcast form. We put information in the newsletter and we also have it out on our YouTube channel. So, you don't want to miss this, you guys. I basically am going to help you get some Christmas gifts done this year. Go to jamieivy.com slash newsletter. You can subscribe to the newsletter. That way you will never miss an episode. Friends, here's my conversation with Jeff Bethke. Jeff, welcome to the happy hour. Hey, thanks for having me. Huge treat. I'm so happy to have you. Like we were talking about before we started that we now have dudes on the happy hour. And this makes me so happy because I get to sit down and talk to people like you. Yes. Well, I feel like I did. I was telling you that before. Not only is it a genuine treat, but then the fact to know that I'm kind of in that early, you know, first couple guy stage is even like double blessing. So thank you. 
I will say this. I said on Instagram yesterday that you were coming on and everyone was so very, very excited. And they were also like, when are you going to have this wife on? So you give her the word <laughs> that she's the next uh, Beth Geek to come on the happy deal. hour. That's well, for I will sure. Say, I will say this. She has her first solo published book coming out next spring. I mean, she's done stuff with me. She's done stuff with Robin Jones Gun, but her first one's next spring. And she's just, you know, doing the cover right now, all that jazz, you know. And man, like, yeah, so she, I know she will probably want to come on and she would love to talk about that stuff and it's killer and it's good. And I'm jealous too, because she got a full color cover, color interior, you know, kind of like Mike Willen, all that type of style. And I'm really jealous because I want my books to be like that, but they, my publisher only lets me do the trade paperbacks because no one cares about my artsiness, but that's a whole nother side conversation. That's a whole nother side conversation, but you tell her she's coming on the happy hour next spring. That is Deal. for sure. Side note, I did not know how many books you have released. There's a handful. I kind of lose track because we do, we're kind of like, um, I don't know what the, what's that strength? What's the one where it's like activate or move fast? I'm that guy. So I like, we have some self-published, some workbooks, some regular ones. I don't know. I think it's traditional is like four or five regular self-published, like three workbooks. I forget loose count, but yeah, I don't know if I should, let's just be honest. I don't even know if I shall, should have written that many by 30. So I might take a next like 20 year break and <laughs> we'll go from there. <laughs> That's exactly right. How old are you now? 31. So yeah, 31. I don't know. Yeah, I got nothing left to say. I'm done. Give me 20 That's years not, off. That's not true. That's not true at all. We're grateful for your words. <laughs> okay. The book that I, I looked through all your books on Amazon yeah. and the one, um, I only knew about two, so I feel bad about that. But the one <laughs> that I knew about that I love the cover so bad, and I need you to tell me if you had to fight for it is the book mm. to hell with the hustle. Okay. So this is a funny Did story. Did you have to yes. fight for the H word? Yes. Okay. So if that's what you're talking about, yes. I thought you were talking about just pure artistic design. No. And that was actually the publisher came up with that one, that idea completely on their own. The coffee cup, the spilling. I was really proud of them. Thank you, Nelson. You guys are the best. But yes, you know, it was, there were some people wanting it to be to heck with the hustle, you know, a little Christian, you know, version, Southern Baptist version. And I was like, we can't do that, guys. We can't do that. So yeah, we had to fight for that one, which, you know, and even and there was even a little microcosm. I remember the very first conversation. By the way, Alyssa thought of that title, which is hilarious because she's like a 90-year-old Christian grandma lady in a 32-year-old body. <laughs> and so like, you know, it's, it came out with like a lightning bolt when she said it. But I remember when, like two years ago, whatever, when she first said it, mentioned it, and then we brought it. The first people that came over that night for dinner were her parents. And I was just like, hey, this is a cool idea that Alyssa just thought of. And they were shocked. They were aghast. But, <laughs> but uh, so I know, you know, my argument is it's literal, meaning like if it's being flippant, I can totally understand that. You don't want to do that with language. But I'm saying, man, hustle, hurry, busyness, these things that create this spirit in our heart, if it's not from and part of the kingdom of the reign and rule of Jesus, it's only coming from one other place. And I don't want to be a part of that. You know, it's so good. Listen, I know you just made it literal, but I like just to play on the words. Just to hell with the hustle. <laughs> I liked it so much. Totally. I'll say it. It's OK. Yes. But <laughs> I just have to have that disclaimer for certain sections of the you know, United States. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Okay, so welcome to the show. We just started chatting. Uh, you yes. and your wife live in Hawaii. Tell us a little bit about your family. Yeah, so me and Alyssa have been married nine years, I think, coming up. Yeah, from Washington State. We both grew up there. We're born and raised there, live there forever. Right when we started getting married, or right when we started dating, excuse me, Alyssa moved out to Hawaii for like a church internship, fell in love with it, fell in love with the community. And then long story short, came back home when we started having kids. Where do you want to raise the kids? The big questions you ask. And then we were kind of like, well, why not out there? And so uh, we moved back out here to kind of just do what we do now, which is just create resources, hopefully encourage people. I like to say we like to make people think about Jesus in a fresh and unique way, even though it's not fresh and unique, it's thousands of years old, but you know. <laughs> and so, yeah, got three kids. 
And, you know, we're, we hang out, you know, we unschool, I like to say, even though that's like a version of homeschooling. Yeah, I like Legos, which I put on the form. And that's about it. That's our family right there. I love it so much. I love that you like Legos too, because um, Jeff, oh, yeah. over Christ- this last year, my son who's 16 had saved up a bunch of money to spend almost $300 on a Lego set. And oh yeah, they're I thought, expensive. Yes. And in my head, I didn't want to burst his bubble because I've learned <laughs> like, you know, like yep. don't burst yep. your kid's bubble. But in my head, I was literally thinking, are you freaking kidding me that you're going to yeah. spend $300 on a Lego set? And it took you what? 35 minutes. I don't yep. know how long, long to put it together. And he was so proud of the fact that he saved up and he built it and it's in his room. And I guess that's a thing. Oh, yes. It's a whole ordeal, you know, Lego shrines, etc. I'm what they call an A-fall, adult fan of Lego. There's K-falls, kid fan of Legos. There's a whole okay. subculture. I've watched all the documentaries. Me and Kinsley, my, our oldest, is really getting into it. So yeah, I love it. There's one, I literally can't announce this yet, but I'm announcing it kind of where I just can't give the name because you guys can't. Yeah. But I literally, me and Kinsley just literally bought our first business together. I have this, like, I know that's random with a six-year-old. I'll get, just follow me in the next three months. It'll come up more. It has to do with Lego. That's all I'm going to say. It has to do with Legos and the Bible. And we bought it from an 11 year old and I'm stoked. I can't get into it, but just, I'm going to drop that there. All I stay tuned. It's one of the most exciting ventures of my entire 31 years. You and your six year old are now co-owners of a new business that has to do yeah. with Legos and the Bible. I can't. Yes. Just wait. Probably like December ish is when I'll start talking about it. Once stuff gets lined up, but yes, it's amazing. I'll this tell you about so it. Once we, once we, once I stop recording, I'll tell you about it. Okay. This is so exciting. And you mentioned you watch documentaries. Do I need to watch a documentary about Legos with my 16 year old? Please tell me. There, yes. But I, I always blank on the names because I've seen them all. So I like blend them together. But yeah, there's like two or three and they're solid. Okay, the story of Lego actually favorites. is really good. Yes. I actually write about them in my next book from like a culture standpoint, um, how they kind of gather people. So yeah, solid company. Okay. I love it. Love it. Love it. But okay. So welcome Hawaii, three kids, yes. amazing wife that has a book coming out next year. One of the things that I love that you and Alyssa do is you guys are you said you like to point people to Jesus in a new fresh way which you said is not really new and fresh it's thousands of years old but one thing that you guys are doing because you are in a family you and your wife and your three kids is you do a lot of helping families see their own their family calling which this is a fun conversation because I just released a book and we talk a lot about like women finding your calling and what is your calling and I think and believe that like every Christ follower has the ultimate calling of making Jesus known and bringing him glory. Yeah. And then after that, yeah. there's so many things we'll do with our lives. How do you, I'm talking to women about that. You're speaking to families. Talk yeah. to me about this. Yeah, that's a good one. Oh man, this one I could talk five hours on. This is like our main kind of full-time job, but we spend a lot of our time on. For those who don't know, familyteams.com and, and this kind of this venture called Family Teams. And now no one wants to hear you know, a 31 and a 32 year old give a bunch of wisdom and advice on family. And so let me tell you, it's not that. What it is, is about eight years ago, our mentors who kind of have talk on this, write on this and have done this in a more localized way and really impacted our family to the point where it's obviously turning our family around, doing really good things you could see the fruit of and the blessing of and kind of doing it in an out of the box, fresh way. We're just mentoring us. And like two years ago, you know, six, seven years in, I was just like, people started asking us questions of like, hey, why do you do that? Why do you do that? Why do you do that? And I felt ill-equipped to be like, I'm not going to pontificate up here because I'm just trying to figure it out too. And so I, we approached them and said, hey, what if we kind of put our skills together? You guys have a lot of content. You guys have the richness of this, the 20 years of experience of discipling people, hosting events with it. We have the internet stuff. Let's just put it together. So we kind of took it macro and that's what it is. So it's kind of like, we almost like to say like, we're the guinea pigs that get to play the ideas out 
in public that everyone else gets to watch. And they, you know, and they're kind of like the mentor kind of mentee vibe with us. But yeah, essentially what it is, is we distill on this idea that I just wish I want families to recover so bad. And it's essentially this idea that when you open up the scriptures and you kind of dig into, you try to put on the contextual glasses of the ancient Near East, when you get into the, you know, the Torah, the Old Testament, and then the first century, even when you get into the New Testament, there's this concept of family was not seen as this stepping stone for individual success. Like, and that's how we treat it in America, right? It's family is great and it's kind of cute and nice to hold you in, in your little nest and make you safe and secure. But that's like the lowest bare minimum, right? That's like 10%. We consider that hundred percent, right? We consider that like done. If you give your kids a safe and secure environment, you're good, right? So it shows we've set the bar too low, but you open up the scriptures and you see this concept of what we called as a multi-generational family team on mission. When God started from a blank page, Genesis 1, right? And he wanted to bless the world. He wanted to bring his goodness, his image, his reflection, his beauty into the world. He had a lot of options, right? He could have created an app. He could have created a board of directors. He could have started, uh, you know, a bunch of got a board of elders together. You know, I don't know. But what does he do? He creates this male plus female dynamic and then says specifically the mission I'm giving you, you cannot do in one generation. So be fruitful and multiply. You're going to need a lot of help. And then you see that all the way throughout what God is trying to address sin in the entire narrative of scripture. He's always pulling it back to a multi-generational family team on mission. So it goes crazy sideways. Genesis 11, Tower of Babel. You know, we all know that story. What's next? Oh, Abraham and his, what? Multi-generational family team on mission. I'm going to literally give you a nation that you're not going to see. That's because it's going to be so long, you're going to, it's going to outlive you. Which, by the way, that's a really good question if your family mission is solid. Does it outlive you, mm. right? If it's going to happen in five years, that's not that awesome. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I can go on and on and on. But all that I would say is like, it's kind of this juxtaposition of hyper-individualism and trying to push back against that that we see even in the American church. And saying, no, no, I think God wants us to operate in a team context. Now, we see that everywhere in in culture and we agree with it, right? Like, tell me any business that's successful that just is like mostly about the individual, right? Right. And that doesn't doesn't hold weekly meetings and that doesn't put Mm -hmm. up a mission on the board every single year and doesn't have quarterly meetings to look back and say, how did we do, right? Uh, Like no one, you know, the same thing with sports team. What sports team is ever successful that's like, here's the championship. Here's what our practices look like. Here's where we're going. I'm a coach. I'm going to own the authority God's given to me to teach, train, shepherd, and push, right? Like you can just go on and on, but yet families, because we're consumer based rather than mission based, it just devolves and collapses on like six different areas. So man, I'll just stop right there. Oh my there. gosh. Okay. Going. So that- <laughs> no, I love this. This is what I want to talk about. It's so okay. good. So practically, and, and can I just say this too? Like I, I know That's that the response probably- everyone always gives to me, by the way, practically let's, t- <laughs> let's distill that a little. <laughs> okay. So all the Bible stuff is great, but Jeff, totally. tell us how to do it. No, I yeah, want to say no, this too to my listeners as well is my husband, Aaron, and I have had people come into our life, single people who have said, I feel like I'm a part of your family here. And so yes. I just want for all of my single friends that are listening or college students or whatever, is that this can be more than just the six people that have the last name of Ivy in oh, my house. Okay. Let me, let me, let me jump in right there. Amen. Okay, amen. Amen. And yes, that's one of the like false starts we do in this conversation is where when I just said the word family for the last five minutes, everyone just thought nuclear family. But we think of this picture of 1950s nuclear family and the nuclear ideal when the scriptures is not that. It's like a multi-generational chain that at some level has to do with the best way I can say it, even though it's not totally true when you get married, is like a last name. Like just like who's in this entire umbrella? And that's single people. That's married people. That's kids. 
that's grandparents. Like it's a web. Like the, the scripture sees family as like a 50 person enterprise, right? And David Brooks has a brilliant article in the Atlantic he wrote last year called where he basically critiques the, the nuclear family. And this is a guy on the right, by the way, which the right usually upholds the nuclear family. And he basically says that, yeah, it's kind of the shadow of what we were actually created for, which is what he calls corporate families, which is like kind of think of family as a corporation. There's a place mm-hmm. for every single age and every single life in how family's actually supposed to work. Now, mm-hmm. the problem with the nuclear family is what you just said. There's no entry points for a lot of people. We kick grandparents out, right? We don't welcome their wisdom at the table. We don't want them. We can go to Google for answers. We don't need to actually ask the elder of the city called grandpa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we kick single people out, right? We don't need you. You don't do anything for our family right now. Mm-hmm. Maybe nanny, right? We just take advantage of like, you know, the stuff that like they can maybe do for our family rather than actually like let them, you know, us serve them. I can go on and on. But all that to say, yeah. yes, we have to stop with like the language there because I agree there's a place, the tape, the picture of family in scripture is such a big table. There's no one that doesn't have a seat. Yeah. You know, it's funny because we were talking earlier about your book, To Hell with the Hustle, and just the idea that life is so fast and there's so much hustle and there's so many things to do that the problem that I've seen personally in my own family, unfortunately, is that sometimes you get to the end of your day and you're like, what just happened with my life? What happened with my children? What happened with all the things? And now in our family, we're in a different stage than you are where all of our kids are middle school and high school where, I mean, we're like lucky in the school year if we have two nights. Well, you know what? This is funny. Last night, my boys had their first freshman football game and we're big believers and believers, but we're big (laughs) believers and believers in having dinner around the table, you know? And so we come home and it's 8.30 and my husband makes dinner. And I actually had a moment where I looked up and I thought, you know what? This would have years ago made me stressful that yeah. why are we eating so late? Why is this happening? But yeah. I looked around at my two boys who had just played football, my one who'd been studying for a physics exam, my daughter who was up almost to her bedtime and thought, it's okay because we're all sitting here having dinner. My point in yes. saying that is I also have a lot of listeners who are in your stage of life with little kids. Mm-hmm. And although you yeah. may have every opportunity to eat dinner every night, there's other things that hinder and bring forward the hustle. Yeah. So I did say practically. And, yes. And that dinner's 30 seconds and kids are crying in tantrums. You know? <laughs> and they're mad. They're like, I'm throwing yep. food. I hate yep. this. Exactly. Okay. At least my kids don't throw food anymore. So yes, there's, exactly. that's the win. Yes. Okay. But talk to me about this. Let's do this. Dive yeah. in practically about some of the things as people are listening that they can go, right, okay, carve that out. I can yeah. grasp onto this and maybe yep. Step one, what would that look like? I just want to respond to the table thing real quick and then I'll get into that because that was so key. Like, you know, and the research is done on that. Like the jury's not out anymore that if you eat together as a family, the effects are unbelievable. But here's the thing too. Let me say this because I'm not trying to, because I think we hear that. And again, we go, I just, we feel a little bit of shame and pressure. I can't do that. Okay, I'll let you guess. How many times out of what's seven times three, if you eat three meals a day, 21, how many out of those 21. 21 do you think you have to eat for like a barometer of certain success? Well, how many meals do you think is like good, would you say, as a family? I mean, like, I think or the number's going to be a lot lower than I yeah. think, but I would think like, okay, to be a successful parent, I have 21 meals, especially if I'm a stay-at-home mom and I got little kids, yeah, I would think. maybe every dinner. Uh, 19, 15, yeah, seven, right? you know, like uh, right. that's where I would so, think. Exactly. But. So the answer is, the research is out. The answer is three. If you eat more than three meals together as a family, the literally the list is a page long of like the kids are more successful in school. 
the kid, you know, the less ADD, you know, and I'm an ADHD guy. If you can't hear, by the way, <laughs> you already knew that five minutes in, you know, <laughs> like just like behavior problems, like the list is insane. And there's a book I read called From Tablet to Table. Love that book. Tiny. You can read in a day. Leonard Sweet. And he uses this really good analogy where he's like, if you read the one page list of all the benefits of just having a couple meals together every week. And that was a drug you could go buy, right? To get those benefits instead of eating at dinner. He's like the entire nation would be around the corner standing in line, right? 100%. Like if it's going to yeah. help your yeah. SATs and all that, you know? You just took a lot of pressure off a lot of people because yeah. it is. You start to think like, I can't, I travel, I work. We have totally. music and dance and piano and blah, 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 blah. Yes. And you just, everyone totally. just breathes a yes. sigh of relief. Like that's one every other night out of all three meals. Like, I mean, you know, like yeah. there's plenty of time and space. And what I would say is I think what it teaches us is be intentional with the time you have. If you do work a lot and you're trying to provide for your family and you need to do that, right, then your phone should be put away when you're home. You should read some books to the kids. You should maybe have one sacred meal, right? We call it like we, in our family teams, we call like a, the family meal, capital F, capital M, where we, we try to really teach. If you have one meal a week, that's like just lift it up a little, right? Get out the nice napkin, get out this, light a couple candles. Now we go full on with like the, we call it Shabbat and all that on a day of rest. But I mean, we don't say you have to do that. Just like make a sacred family dinner that's like ritualistic about your identity as a family. And it can be really, really impactful. And that, that leads into what you even asked on like get, starting to get practical. So here's what I would say. You know, the first thing that we tell people if they want to start kind of turning the ship a little bit is you have to lean into mission, right? Mission. That God, you have to believe first theologically that whatever your family team is, God has blessed your family uniquely, wired all the kids and you to go on a specific mission, right? Now there's seasons of that, of pulling the brakes or going full on, like, you know, all that stuff. I'm not saying, you know, sometimes talking about mission, people just go crazy, once you're in a family, I don't believe mission is individualistic anymore. I think it's subservient individualistic. But what I mean by that is there's a really big umbrella that should catch the family, right? So for ours, we have what we call, it took us two years to get there. We didn't do it overnight, but we scribbled and thought about what do we work backwards? What do you like? What do you care about? What are you almost naturally doing anyways before someone tells you to write down a mission, <laughs> right? And for us, that was the biggest one always that stands out is hospitality. Like we love having people in our home. We have people in our home more than anyone else we know, more than any of our friends, right? We cook, we have no grocery budget for that exact reason because you can't do hospitality unless you're just like, well, just buy it all, right? Get all this and that and that. And so there's other places we pinch because our mission is hospitality, right? And that even includes, you know, even the other day I was thinking about that with even like, you know, we got our AC fixed and I'm like, man, you know, especially kids this age, I'm like, it's not just come in and fix our AC, but it's like, I want anyone who steps in our home to experience the kingdom of God. So even if you're a serviceman for five hours and I'll never see you again, I want you to get a special card from the kids. I want you to get cookies. I want you to be asked if you need coffee or water, right? And you can say that's, you know, pretty basic, but I think that's very much the kingdom of God. And so, just work backwards from what are you wired towards? What do you like? And then here's where it gets practical or even more practical. Once you start writing this stuff down, it becomes a really good filter because most families think they have to do everything that every family's doing. If you don't know what you're saying no to, then you're not ever going to say yes to any good things, right? That's good. And so we filter everything through like our eight pillars where it's like when a big decision's coming or some sport or whatever, we say, well, do we feel like this can get through this net? Can it get through these nets, these questions, this, these things that we feel called to? And if not, then of course we still listen to the spirit if he says do it anyways, but it's a lot harder to get on the other side of that. And so it's a very good filter. It totally mitigated our busyness and our hustle and our hurry. It allowed us to be more shrewd with our schedule. And so, yeah, that's what I would say is like that conversation is first. 
If you don't know it, guys, I'm a Texas girl through and through. I've lived here most of my life. I was born here and I love traveling. Here's why I love traveling throughout Texas, because it has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities, which means there's an infinite number of different travel experiences. And no two travelers are exactly alike. And it means that no two trips should be either. If you're a beach person, well, you can have fun under the sun with Texas's 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies cannot get enough of Texas's world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interests. Guys, come visit my state. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Okay, so those eight pillars, are they y'all's or like that's like specific for the Bethke family or are yeah. these like eight I mean, pillars general that you things. think anyone can go through? I mean, anyone specific to us. I mean, like we picked them because we feel like these are our things. Okay. And I, I usually have them memorized, but I'm blanking right now because it's so early over in here in Hawaii. But yeah, it's like hospitality, generosity. Yeah, the table yeah. is the hospitality one. Giving, as I said, generosity. 
what else is there? Health is one, you know, and there's like a family as a team and then apprenticeship to Jesus is one of them, you know? And so, yeah, there's like so many of it. And it's basically like we distilled these as things that we believe we want to dedicate our time to, right? Because again, you know, if you don't have a mission statement or a vision and you don't have to write it down, like don't get all Etsy Pinteresty on me, right? Just like, do you know what you're doing? That's basically, do you know what you're doing? Then you're just going to be going haywire. And so if your spirit feels like that, that's probably what you're missing. Again, always take it to the business or sports team parallel because those are the best cultural examples of other teams, right? What business on earth, when you ask, say, what do you guys do? I don't know. What products do you make? I don't know. You know, uh, we just say yes to everyone else's businesses. We just say yes to what everyone else is asking us to do. We just say yes to what everyone else is asking us to make. That'd be ridiculous. They'd go bankrupt in five seconds. That's essentially most families' hearts. They're going bankrupt, right? Because Mm -hmm. they're just like, I don't know. I'm just saying yes to everyone else's business, everyone else's family, everyone else's ideas. So you got to just start saying, you know, Apple is Apple because they know exactly what they're here to do. Yeah. Right. The Golden State Warriors are the Golden State Warriors because they know exactly how they're wired and how their offense works that wouldn't work if they didn't have Steph Curry, right? Right. And so it's not hard when you start realizing how much it's based on just like, what do you like? How has God wired you? He's already kind of given you the evidence in like subtle little breadcrumb ways every single day. Oh my gosh, it's so good. And when you say think through it through like a business or sports team, it makes you're like, oh, of course. Totally. That makes so much sense. Yeah. Of course. And I alluded to it earlier, it's like, it's the mission versus consumption thing, right? The reason businesses and sports teams actually hold teams very well is because they have a shared mission, right? And that's what it is. If you can get there on a collective mission, it really can propel you. But the evangelical side of things, we don't have a mission. We're either consumption-based, or if we do, it's hyper-individualistic. And you see Mm. this with the classic example of, you know, the missionary dad who basically just leaves his family squandering and dying because he wants to go to the mission field. I just think that is not God's mission, right? And, right. and so I talk about that in my next book of like, there's three kind of, there's three ways to think through this and two of them are wrong, right? And so one of them is family and mission. These two things are totally separate, uh-huh. right? Keep them separate, never let them yep. touch. And that's the example I just gave, family and mission, separate, yep. don't let them cross over. The second one is <laughs> just as bad and that's family as mission. This is when you mm-hmm. get into the, you know, the cute white picket fence, helmeted, you know, homeschool kid, you know, family. And that's us, by the way. So I'm making fun of us because we are homeschool family. But of the sense of like, you know, like your family and making it cute and moral and conservative and nice is the goal. That's not the goal, mm. right? Yep. That, that is way too small of a goal. You'll burn out your family, your kids, and just be a monster in 20 years at some level mm-hmm. because just that we're not created to make our family the mission. It's basically family idolatry. The third one yeah. is family on mission, right? And that's literally like, okay, God has made you a team. What does he want to do with your team that you could not do by yourself? And man, that's different, right? I love this so much. Okay, so I want to give you an example for the listener too, as we're talking through this. There was a season in our life Mm -hmm. where Aaron, my husband, had the opportunity to go do a job someplace else. Mm. We love our, we love Austin. We we loved it then. We love it now, all the things. And we prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And um. We had a conversation with our oldest son about this way before we even brought our younger kids into it. We had a conversation about our younger son. And of course he was, um, I mean, our oldest son at the time, he's still our oldest, whatever. (laughs) We had our conversation (laughs) with him and he was like heartbroken and devastated and did not want this, obviously, you know? And so one of the things that we told him, and this didn't make sense to him, you know, as an early teenager and he got it a little bit, we could tell, but we looked at him and said, we really, 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 truly believe that if this is what we're supposed to doing, if this is what we're supposed to do, it's not just a calling on dad's life. It's a calling mm. on my life. It's a calling on your oh. life. 
<laughs> we said God has something for you there. It's not yep. like you're just a tag along and I'm a tag yep. along. Like we are, we're team Ivy. And so yep. I don't believe that God will ask anybody in this family right now, mom and dad to do anything because what people start to think, Jeff, is they start to think like, oh, well, this would be hard for my kids or this would hurt my kids. And I'm always reminding people of God didn't design you and put you on mission and forget you had children. Like it wasn't like he went, oh, they have kids. Now what should they do? Or they got to pick between the two because of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so that was a moment where I was like, man, I love what you're saying. And us here at the Ivies, we're here for this because we want our kids to know like we're team and God calls our entire team. Now I want to flip a little bit from families to marriage. Yeah. Can I add one more thing there? Yeah, please do. There's again, really good research on that where if you include your kids, they feel ownership, right? And it really seriously changes behavior. It really mm-hmm. does. Like, this is not the only reason, but a lot of reason kids, especially in their teenage years, are angsty, slamming the doors, want separation, all these type of things, right? This kind of this classic example of like a teenager in a bad season is because their vision has gotten way too small and parents have not helped them go big, right? Like you, and not, and not just individually or moralistically, but I mean, like there's, like we are doing this and it kind of kind of uh, washes away all the other stuff they could be wasting their time on when they realize there's a bigger story God is creating for them. And so, yeah, I just say include the kids on just about everything with obvious wisdom of if it stresses them out or not. But I mean, our six-year-old knows our finances, right? Uh, With limits, of course. But hey, we got this much money. We want to give it away. What do you think we should do? I'm not going to say yes Mm -hmm. to what you think we should do, but I want to know, you know? (laughs) So stuff like that, just just include them in really organic conversational ways. And it does something really powerful of knitting over time you together. That's so good. Recently, when you said including your kids in your finances, recently, this was the conversation at my house. (laughs) I have three teenage boys and they're eating nonstop. And they literally were like there's nothing to eat and I pulled everything out of the pantry and showed them all the things we had to eat and they're like I don't like any of this stuff and I was like you know what and then I threw it in their face the budget of what I shop yes I told them I said you know how much I spent a month on groceries and they're like really and I was like yes now eat this food that I bought because I'm not going back to the store that's gone exactly I love that okay switching to marriage you said you guys have been married for eight years Yep. Okay. Congrats on that. That's like, I mean, that's tiny, but that's 47 years in American marriage years. So there there you go. go. There you Mm go. Aaron and I have a book on marriage coming out in the spring. We've been married 19 years. So just, you know, we're still learning, but we're just a little bit ahead of some people. Uh, But one of the things we talk about in this book is mission. It's our very last chapter. It's actually my favorite chapter in the whole book. And the whole point is that a lot of people, the questions they ask Aaron and I is, the question is, you guys are both doing separate things. My husband's a pastor inside the yeah. church. Most of my ministry takes place outside of the church. I'm a podcaster. He's a songwriter. Like It could look to the outside world like we have two different totally. paths. And we always say it may look like that, but we have the exact same mission and our mission never changes. Everything we do is to glorify the Lord. And I've noticed, Jeff, when I've seen being married 19 years and 42, I'm seeing some of the people that are my peers, their marriages start to crumble and fall Mm. apart. And what I when when it comes down to it so often, I see is that they were living separate lives and not on the same mission. And so yeah. we've been talking about it as a family, but can you speak into that even as a couple and yeah. as, as marriage on mission? Just humbling to even think about and talk about marriage is so difficult, man. And there's, there's a minefield out there that we're all trying not to step on, but I think you're right. You know, there's, it, it usually, I, I call it mission drift. And what that is, is it tends to be like, you just kind of years will go by and you just start to drift um, and lose the mission, the sense of mission that holds every 
organism and team together, you know, to the Marin specifically. Yeah, I think so. Same with me and Alyssa, like, right. We do some stuff more together probably than you and Aaron, but we, um, but similar, we were doing a lot of our separate projects. She's doing her thing. I'm doing my thing. What I would say there is, and this hopefully lets me clarify too, what I would said earlier of, I think sometimes when you talk about family and mission and all that stuff, and then get into marriage, people think like, does that mean we have to always hang out together and do everything together? It's like, no, no one's saying that again, a really helpful analogy is it's just like a business and a business has what? divisions of the company. A business has someone on floor three and someone on floor four. Now they still have all hands on deck meetings. They still have the same mission. They still have collective get to get like, right. It's like, you have to think about it like that, that this division's job is this, right. It's kind of ownership of roles, but we Mm -hmm. despise that in the West. And so that's a big part of it. Like, you know why we don't like that. Like what's the, that's a side note, but that's why we never use the word like fair in our family. Cause I'm like, we're not trying to make anything fair, right. I'm trying to have everyone own exactly what they're meant to own right? Mm, And who they're meant to be. And so we like, that's like a swear word in our house. Don't you ever say fair, right? Now we want it to be just. Side note. I had a friend growing up. Listen to this, Jeff. You can use this next time if you want. (laughs) I had a friend who she's a couple of years ahead of me. And she said that when her kids would say that's not fair, she'd say, you know, what's not fair is that Jesus Christ had to come to earth and die for your sin. That's not fair. (laughs) Oh, talk about gospel infiltration. That's true. Jesus, that is I was the like, that moment. is the biggest Jesus juke I've ever yes. heard in my entire life. <laughs> yeah, I like that. You know what's not fair? The wrath of God that has been exactly. displaced by Jesus. Oh, that's so good. You deserve hell and Jesus <laughs> took it for you. <laughs> He's traumatized. Now go clean your room. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Because Jesus cleaned your heart. Okay. Yes, exactly. um, there you go. We're on a roll. Okay. What we're I would say is even that little thing I said with business with like taking all hands on deck meeting, right? So like a business that like has a weekly meeting or a shared mission or, you know, kind of the the board meeting, whatever, me and Alyssa see it like that. But we see ourselves as like the board of directors over ourselves even underneath that. We kind of see ourselves in two places. It's like Uh Jeff and Alyssa are the board of directors up here, but then Jeff and Alyssa in like regards to like the worker bees, you know, what we do in a day-to-day are down here. So how can we kind of have a once a week meeting where we kind Mm -hmm. of board of direct ourselves? (laughs) That's weird, but that's kind of how we see it. And so then what would that does practically is, yeah, we have what we call Sunday business meeting, a ritual I would say is super, super, super helpful to any marriages out there. And essentially what it is, is it's like, we're not trying to have a cute date night. We're not trying to connect hearts. Of course, though, if there's a moment, well, like we do, but it's like, hey, we are running an organization here that gets more and more complex. The older the kids get, the more kids we have and the more stuff we add. We need a weekly place where it's just like, what do you need? What do I need? How can we do this? Are we staying within the mission? You know, and kind of like, it's like a little like a cheerleading moment almost, right? Cheerleading plus some schedule, plus some logistics. Because what happens is if you don't have something like that in your marriage, everyone else starts to dictate that for you, right? Mm -hmm. People are more than happy to dictate your schedule and more than happy to say, you need to do this on this day and this, and we need you here. And so it's just, it's our way of anchoring ourselves. And we ask, you know, we do actually ask really like heart level questions. They're the same ones every week. And then we also kind of put in what we call our non-negotiables into the week before everything else gets in there. So it's like, Okay, when are we going to do a date night, which in COVID, I'm just going to be honest, that's totally got skirted a lot. When are we going to do, um, you know, some like one-on-one time with the kids? When are we going to, you know, what are we going to do on our day of rest? We take like a family day of rest Friday night to Saturday night and a couple other things. And it's like, hey, we only have three or four non-negotiables where we believe if these three or four things go well this week, even if the week goes to crap, we will still feel like our hearts are full, like we're rested and we're at peace. And so we just shove those in every single week. And in weeks that go bad, we look back and we go, oh, we just kind of, you know, we missed that. We missed a meeting. We didn't do it, whatever. And so I would say that's the best place is just, do you have a rhythmic, maybe weekly, I don't know, um, meeting with your spouse to just kind of beat the same drum, look under the hood 
ask the same questions and kind of come back. And what I would say there is it's, I would only say 5% of that meeting is, is looking forward. 95% of that meeting is looking back. We almost, the biggest question we ask mm-hmm. on the Sunday business meeting is what worked, what didn't work, right? Because the thing that a lot of us do is we just live like in the straight line when I don't believe God wants us to live in a straight line. He wants to live in cycles, right? In daily, weekly, yearly cycles. And so what that does is it takes away all the pressure from a growth perspective or a change perspective, because I know I can put one little tiny incremental change in my week to see if it helps our family, my heart, Alyssa, et cetera. And then at the end of the week, I can just with that one little change go, did it work or did it not work? Now let's Mm -hmm. iterate, try again. Like families and marriages that see their marriages and their families in the context of seven days that repeat, not a straight line until they die. I think that change alone can do a lot of damage in a good way. Wow, that's really good of changing the thinking on that for sure. Jeff, I'm a big fan of you guys and how you're pouring into families mm. and loving on families because Same to you guys. It's a hard world out there. And so yes. even your your practical stuff is really going a long way. I'm grateful for the ministry that you and your whole family mm. are doing. We'll say it yes, like that. Yes, look at that. Thank you. The whole family. <laughs> We dwell on a lot in our lives. We dwell on some problems. We dwell on the past. We often wake up first thing in the morning and our minds are already dwelling on it. Whatever it could be of our crazy schedules, worrying about our health, tough periods of parenting, sadness over loss, the list goes on and on and on. And sometimes it seems impossible to do anything but dwell on it. That is why dwell was created because we can dwell differently. Dwell is a Bible memorization tool. You can easily memorize one Bible verse for every month. One of my favorite ones that we have memorized so far is Romans 12, 12, which says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And in fact, I keep the tag that they send me on my key ring and so I can look through them. And just today, I pulled that up and said that verse out loud. Dwell offers memberships that starting at $9.95 per month. Some of the memorization tools that you get include temporary tattoos, vinyl stickers, art prints. You guys, this is a great, great, great thing for families to have, for teenagers to have, to help with little kids. Go to dwelldifferently.com. Use code Jamie15 for 15% discount on a prepaid membership. That's dwelldifferently.com. Okay, I always ask my guests, what are you loving and what are you reading? I think, yeah, when you asked that pre-question, I was like, man, I'm boring. I have nothing. I mean, I, I do love things, but for some reason, books always come to my mind. I would say uh, No Future Without Forgiveness by Desmond Tutu. And he talks about the, what is it, the Truth and Reconciliation Committee in Apartheid Africa. That book is brilliant and a book that needs to be read for this moment. It's like, why would we not learn from people that have come before us? Mm. And it, it's such a brilliant blend where a lot of us fall on one side or the other, right? Where we yep. we just want to, you know, use forgiveness to, you know, run over justice and run over like actual trauma, right? Or the, the reverse, right? Where there's no future without forgiveness. And so, mm-hmm. but the way that he uses and like, like he basically has, yeah, you like face the sin, face the trauma, mm. right? Face the wound or else it ain't going to heal with love and peace and forgiveness. Yeah. So that yeah. one, one book I'm really loving right now is, uh, what is it? I always get the title mixed up. It's cause it's like wordy. It's like the early, the patient ferment of the early church. That's what it is. And it basically tracks the first 300 years of the church and what made them distinct. And man, is that a book for this moment too, because you read it and you just get super depressed because you're like, man, the very obvious four to five distinctives that made them 
turn the world upside down, we're almost missing every single one. But it gives an encouragement of like, but these are the things. If you can lean into these, you know, it really does turn the mm. world upside down. And I love that language that he uses throughout the whole book. It's called, you know, patient ferment. And he basically said there was this mm-hmm. concept of living as the new family of God that was almost like a kind of a sourdough starter, right? Like there's nothing, like mm, you, you, if yeah. you stare at it, he doesn't say sourdough starter, he's just says ferment, but same thing, if, you know, or yeah. kombucha, whatever you want. But, it, you know, if you stare at it, you don't see any anything. But there's this unbelievable, subtle life under there that's just bubbling and fermenting and will create something good. And that's such a cool picture, I think, of Mm. what it means to be a Christian witness of like, man, we are meant to kind of patiently ferment in love and in how we serve. So that's what I'm loving. And it's always usually books, which is super boring. So I'm sorry. (laughs) I love it. And your Legos. Yes. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. We're on video. Thanks for reminding me. Okay. I'm loving this. Oh, good. You're going to look at that. There's my new set. Right. I saw so your I whole not... thing on Instagram about yes. you Someone went and to bought like it for buy me. this. Yes. yes. Well, I mean, I Venmoed it. I Venmoed it to him. Okay. So if you're watching on Zoom or wherever you put this, but if you're not, if you're not watching on Zoom, it's the Lego NES system, the Nintendo system that they did out of Lego. And I'm just like your son where I had to, you know, save up a couple hundred dollars. And then I said, let's get this. But man, am I excited to build that. But yes, they sold out of it super quick online. So I just put out on a whim if someone could help me out on Instagram and I would like, you know, pay for it, Venmo them, pay them extra, give them whatever they wanted. They can have them, you know, the lien on the house and, uh, and they like, and someone did and hooked it up. So yes, very excited about that. That's a hookup. Why haven't you put it together yet? So these ones, so this is a 2,600 piece, this is a 2,600 piece one. And so like when you get above a couple thousand pieces, generally I have to have like the perfect mood or perfect day or else it just like, it's like, does I, I need like an eight hour block or else it ain't going to happen. Okay. Or it's too vulnerable to like leave it kind of built. You know, I got kids around. So, you know, young kids. So, yeah, it's like it's got to be like the perfect Saturday where we're not doing anything. So hopefully I will soon. I love that. I love that. I I can't wait to to tell my son about that uh, piece that you got there. Jeff, thank you. Seriously. Lots of respect for you guys down in Hawaii, loving Jesus, pointing people to Jesus and all that you're doing. And um, it's much needed and we're grateful for it. So thanks for coming on the happy hour. Hey, thank you. This was a blast. And I just want to say too, just honor you and your show. I mean, you have been so faithful to the show for, I don't know, five, 10, 15 years, whenever a podcast have been doing their thing, right? And the impact and the size of platform God's given you on it is just like, man, it's a huge honor to be a part of it. But man, super stoked and inspired to just watch you faithfully serve people and your listeners. Um, and we've been, me and Alyssa listen, have been inspired too. So thanks a ton. Thank you. Jeff was as lovely as I anticipated him to be, and I cannot wait to talk to his wife next spring. Today's show was edited and mixed by the team at Podshaper, and the music was developed for the show by Matt Graham. Show notes are written by Abigail Castell, and the whole thing is organized by Lindsay Sweeney. Guys, enjoy your week. Do not forget that this is not our kingdom, no matter what is going on in our country right now for all of my U.S. listeners. Friends, I would love for you to share the show with a friend. Have a happy hour with a friend, and I'll see you back here on Friday with my new friend, another amazing guy, Sam Acho. 